Greetings, fellow seekers of all heavy music, once again to the Lead Melodies podcast. As usual, I am Eric Norris, the one-man crew, and I'm once again here to guide you through this venture of overt distortion, macabre lyricism, and other musical exhibitions, yada, 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 composed of notes so heavy that they might as well be made of lead. Yep, you know the drill. I apologize for the late release of this episode, as I'm just coming off of the holiday season, the season of stress, and also some uh, some personal problems that I'm not going to bore you with. But anyway, I'm here. Episode two is amongst us, and we are going into one of the greatest punk rock releases of last year, that being 2021. So... Let's get into it. This is the album Cause and Effect by Soldiers of Destruction, released last June the 18th through Americant Records. And this is some uh, UK82 based street punk. So basically, if you're a fan of The Exploited or GBH or Discharge, but also if you're a fan of Motorhead, chances are you're going to like at least one thing in this fucking album. So let's get into it. The ever-expanding web of punk rock is chock-full of intricate details that enrich its history. Bands have come and gone, some have managed to leave their mark no matter their longevity, and in some cases, the demand of reunions for those that initially were short-lived became so high that they found new life in recent years, whilst many, many others faded into obscurity, mostly not to be seen or heard from again. While their tapes and records, if any, function more as placeholders on record store shelves. Then you have bands that made a name for themselves despite not having left any tangible relics behind, and rather just referred to as this one band I saw back in the 80s. Soldiers of Destruction fit into that category up until recently, when lead vocalist Morat, the sole survivor of the old lineup, reformed and re-envisioned the band. Originally formed in England in 1981, right at the precipice of the UK-82 crusade that shifted the genre's paradigm into more aggressive territory, Soldiers of Destruction set out for their fair share in the movement. They did well for themselves for a couple of years, gaining a following through their live shows and composing songs based on the political and social backdrop of 1980s England. They garnered attention from select labels and pushed for a proper release. However, it never came to fruition. And in 1984, the band fizzled out and was left in the ether. Morat then relocated to the United States and found residency in Las Vegas. One night, while heading down the bar, he met a man named Chris Crew Chorba. And after a series of slurred sentences, the idea of getting a band together was thrown around and thus instigated the reignition of Soldiers of Destruction. Crew, being a guitarist, was the first to join, and soon after, bassist Dave Thompson and drummer John Feeney. The recruitment of newer, younger members, the likes of whom weren't even born during Soldier's Salad Days, brought sounds from different factions in and out of punk, including classic rock and roll and different areas of metal. At the turn of the decade, that being the 2020s, they began writing and solidifying new songs as well as upgrading the older material which, while never professionally recorded but rather captured through bootlegged footage of live performances, served as the vessel of education for all of them. Morat had to rewrite the lyrics to make them more up-to-date with the times, or either he simply couldn't remember them or couldn't understand what he was singing from the bootlegs. Finally, 
the monument to a reunion nobody had expected was the long-belated release of their debut album, the aptly named Cause and Effect. This album is a composition of all things musically related to punk rock and all of the factions it either inspired or was inspired by. It is also lyrically dense with sociopolitical criticisms, failure and virtue, inward thinking towards one purpose in life, and even sports a song as tribute toward one of their greatest inspirations. There's quite a bit to dissect in this record, and I'll do my best to accurately express why this album is deserving of much more attention. So, first things first, let's talk about the album cover, the artwork that presents itself before you hit play. A full-body snapshot of a cop in his riot gear, mid-charge, holding a baton in his right hand while his left arm raises up a shield, making contact on the face of an old woman standing on the opposite side of the photo. It looks as if this photo was staged for the purpose of an eye-grabbing album cover, but it's not. This is a real photo taken by photographer Paul Matson during the London poll tax riot in 1990, which became known as the Battle of Trafalgar. The riot resulted in protesters being bludgeoned and arrested by snatch squads, eventually leading to Margaret Thatcher, who introduced the poll tax, having to step down from her position as prime minister. And Matson himself, shortly after taking the photo, was beaten to a pulp by the featured cop and is now disabled as a result. The disturbing nature of this photo and the story behind its origin demands such attention and is an indicator of what's in line for soldiers' lyrical subjugation. They do have songs whose lyrics were written back in the 80s when the radical political congregations like this were more abundant, have been changed to heed to more current examples of unrest in the socio-political backdrop. The reactions are still very much the same, and the majority of their lyrics rest on that basis, while also encouraging listeners to not take any such abuse lying down. But before we get into the lyrics, let's talk about the music. While based in the sounds of that of UK82 punk, the twists and turns of soldier sound keep expectancy at bay, with each track carving out its own niche in the grand scheme of the album. With the guitar riffs switching on a dime from smoother strumming to tremolo intensity, the drumming from more reserved mid-tempo beats to high-velocity polyrhythmic intensity, and the overall propulsion from being calm and more atmospheric, allowing the emotions to gradually settle, to just being forceful and rambunctious from start to finish. The latter of which is accurately represented in the first track, Anti-Them. After John's opening drum roll, Crew and Dave waste no time smashing through the wall with tough, aggressive riffs, matching the up-tempo rhythms bolstering a proper UK82 sound. Morat keeps up with the speed as his vocals rattle off the lyrics like a gun empty in its magazine, and in the chorus, Crew and Dave gloss over the melody of the riff. Proper introductory song to start off a punk album like this. The best way to get someone's attention would be to slap them in the face. Following that is Cracked, continuing the assembly of jumpy punk riffing, leaning more on the sonic assemblage of 90s skate punk, keeping the riffs speedy enough to provoke adrenaline and jumps to more thrashy tremolo riffing in the riff leading into the chorus. You can just hear this song in a Thrasher skate edit. 
After that, the speed is scaled back to more mid-tempo and sets the scene for death or glory. This one comes off more like an old-school barroom skinhead sing-along. Morat shows some more melody in his vocal output, especially doing the chorus, and, like I said, just giving off that vision of punch-drug skins raising their pints to the band. I'll sing in the lyrics in cohesion. Speaking of which, the melodies of the vocals once again mirror that of the guitar riffs, further emphasizing Death or Glory's catchy demeanor. Soldiers further display their distinctive musical earworms that latch onto that of the lyrics with End of a Rope. This one brings down the tempo even further, allowing the vocals and lyrics to reign supreme. Ergo, music that will get stuck in your head. On top of that, the structure of this song is mapped out more like an average rock and roll song. Intro, then the verse, then chorus, a slight pickup in pace before returning to the verse, then the chorus again, and then the pace picks up again and we're greeted by a guitar solo, then verse, an elongated chorus, and... Finn. So... Four songs in, and cause and effect has already gone through the Rolodex of street punk, skate punk, oi, thrash, and rock and roll, and with all that, set the tier for what is to follow. Cause and effect pulls another ace from its sleeve with amphetamines. The intro starts with these sweltering, rolling tremolo guitar riffs that sound like the score to a scene in a sci-fi movie of a mad scientist in his lab, beakers and vials of multicolored liquids lined up on this messy lab table while he's holding a flask of a bubbling mixture up to his face, staring at it intently with bloodshot eyes. Then Morat calls out, Go! And the speedy rhythm swarming with crawling riffs, switching the setting to what it feels like to be wired from so many uppers. And if that wasn't enough, it also gives us Nick Oliveri to add some intensity to the vocals in the chorus. It's just a minute and a half of thrashy extrapolation that reminds me of some of the faster cuts from Slayer's Rain and Blood album. Then it turns face and cheated with very bitter sounding riffs matching the equally hostile lyrics. The drums hold a groovy beat giving some flavor to the guitar's slow and simple structure, but both pick up in the chorus giving an air of urgency before retreating back to its initial pace. Then Drinking for Two throws us a ringer in its intro with 12 bar blues scales, each note crawling up and down the fretboard. I can't help but picture leather vests and 10-gallon hats attached to the bodies of men around a campfire with a bottle of whiskey always at arm's reach. It takes up nearly half of the song's runtime until, in like a split second, Drinking for Two has the structure of a hardcore punk song, but the little end caps in the guitar riffs at the end of each measure, as well as the speed and modest guitar solo, accentuate the thrash inspiration, giving it more of a crossover flavor. The second half of the record starts off with one of Cause and Effect's runaway singles, the aptly named belated eulogy to the fallen rock and roll titan, Lemmy Kilmister. <laughs> 
fittingly enough, Kill Mister goes off the rails, sounding as if it were a Motorhead song. The crunchy bass intro, the lyrics springing from the rugged vocal cords, and the break between each line filled with the being guitar riffs that remind us where the first wave of thrash metal aficionados got their inspiration, and the sheer simplicity of its structure that remind us why Motorhead was the only rock and roll band at the time the punks would welcome into their corner. It's a song that feels like it was written in the back of a getaway car, which is an accurate mimic of Motorhead's sonic output. Batshit Crazy sways back and forth, starting really fast and spastic throughout the verse, then going into a halftime rhythm in the chorus, following a drum roll. Then suddenly, switches back to its former. It makes it really fun and a bit nutty. I mean, it's called Batshit Crazy after all. The chorus gets extremely punchy with chanting gang vocals, all while holding the melody. It even ends with a recording of some maniacal laughter. We then get the longest cut from the album, also gazes. The opening bass line ascends and descends on its scale, setting a pretty ominous tone. The song kicks in with a swirling riff that caps off with some hammering power chords. The melody of the former is matched by Morat's vocals, whereas the latter is matched by the backing chants from Crew and Dave and Nick Olivieri, returning to give some added aggression. While also gazes clocks in at just under five minutes, the time feels like it just swings by with the transitions being so seamless and that each segment stays as long as they need to, whilst upholding no need to be flashy. To counteract, Summer Fun brings back some blistering circle pit inducing energy that reaches the finish line in less than a minute and a half, inclusive of rapid fire vocals in the verse and a chorus that is composed of only two lines shouted by everyone in the vicinity of a microphone. The pop sensibility comes back through Undefeated, as Dave flexes his bass skills leading in the main riff to carry the verse. <laughs> Morat brings a sense of agility with the spacing and enunciation of his words and adding emphasis on the last two syllables of each line in the verse. The style carries over in the chorus with the thin, melodic overlay drilling the lyrics in your ears so as to not forget them. The aforementioned flexing of Dave's bass skills gets the spotlight as he slams away on a bass solo. And it is amazing. Maybe being a bassist myself propels my love for anything resembling a bass solo being included in a punk rock song and just grants extra points towards it. In Sick of the Sight of You, 
The beat is once again brought down to a mid-tempo, with the tremolo-picking intro of notes moving up the fretboard to achieve higher notes and greater anticipation before ascending to the riff which holds it down with a repeating string of downstrokes, each measure being broken up by a couple of hammer-ons through the verse. It changes key in the chorus, and the breaks are then replaced by a descending blues scale. The song structure doesn't sway from its simplicity during its four and a half minute runtime, and is all the better for it, as Morat's lyrics are the main focus. The song comes to a close displaying a facsimile of the ascending chromatic guitar scale in the intro, only this time replacing the tremolo stylings with a continuation of the downstroking riffs. We are then brought to the conclusion, and much like how Cause and Effect hit the ground running with Anti-Them, Symphony of War brings the thrash-centered momentum to bookend it with something equally aggressive. Symphony of War perpetuates grinding tremolo guitar riffs to match the equally hostile vocals. It reminds me of the rampant intensity of Metallica's Whiplash. I said that this album started off as the sonic equivalent of a slap in the face. Well... This album ends with a kick in the ass. The counterparts of Soldiers of Destruction's music come from different paths and all rendezvous to be put through their filter of UK 82 street punk. The result is punk rock that leans towards rock and roll in one song, thrash in another, but always keeps itself grounded as to not let us forget where they came from. The lyrics are a culmination of multiple perspectives regarding political turmoil, begrudging social deficiency, breaking off relationships and friendships, looking inwards and confronting personal demons, and songs of excessive drinking and consuming multiple drugs. Much like the music, it goes all over the place, but stays grounded in its platform. That being personal disdain for the human condition and the effects it has on ourselves. Anti-Them does a fitting introduction on the basis of what we correlate with the punk rock ethos. It's a no-holds-barred bullet point list of what Morat is against, and that is, well, everything. And it just goes on from there. It's basically setting a precedent for the lyrical extrapolation throughout this album, in that the band holds no allegiance to anything or anyone but themselves, and everything is up in line for the firing squad. Cracked, if you will, opens it up a bit more by blurting references to things that are broken by way of a crack, whether literally such as a crack in the mirror or a crack in the road, or more interpretably like a crack in the sky or a crack in society, and a crack in my mind. These are all things that come about in the fractured functionality of human communication, and that all these things are broken, and no one seems to notice or care to fix it. 
The blatant remarks in the chorus do heed to such criticism, but the following line takes a bit of a left turn. They read as if Morat is taking a nihilistic approach, in that, despite our protests, we're inadvertently adding to the problem. It may be a form of self-realization that we're not as innocent as we would like to think, or it could be that, in our attempts to point out these problems, we are piling on to the bigger issue. That being the communication process breaking down. On that front, the message isn't so cut and dry and could be taken any which way. But the rooted cause of discourse still comes through clearly, and that is, we really suck at communicating, people. It gets down to more specifics in Death or Glory, with its lyrics conveying a third-person anecdote of an unnamed soldier depicting an abridged narrative of the trials and tribulations one must go through and resulting in a negative outcome. The first and second verse gives the basic mental structure of this soldier being conditioned to follow orders with the illusory promise of salvation so long as the enemy is defeated. The third verse dives deeper, questioning where this soldier's allegiance as well as their motives truly lie, and if their nearsightedness and revised mindset opted them to turning a blind eye to the real enemy. Then, the fourth and final verse displays a dismal portrayal of what many a shell-shocked combat veteran deals with when they are shipped home. Physical battle wounds and mental fatigue from the memories that they carry, reality setting in and lifting the veil of the fabricated promise of liberation, and that while they may not have started the battle, they now live with the fact that they chose to partake in it. The chorus breaking up these verses of exposition counteracts their misanthropic demeanor with a rallying call to arms, but with a hint of cynicism. A reminder that when a soldier finds themselves on the battlefield, there are only those two options. But the same old story is that no matter the outcome, the chances are low that they will be revered with such valor, either to go on with their life unnoticed and unpraised, or to just be another name scratched off in the body count. So three gargantuan stompers have come kicking in like Doc Martens to the face. End of a Rope takes the lyrics pertaining to the corrosiveness of our surroundings and flips the script into how it affects us personally. Through the verses, Morad expresses his fatigue in dealing with the stresses of life and how they lean heavily on his mental well-being, while the chorus emphasizes the importance of trying to find some sort of solace. I'm sick. I'm pretending to be happy and I'm tired. I'm pretending I'm alright. I'm sick. I'm pretending I'm my crappy and I'm tired. I'm pretending I'm So, while half of its lyrics may be misanthropic, it doesn't conclude that accepting defeat is the answer. And that if you're feeling down, you're not out. 
so long as the motivation is there to take it on the nose and move on. This message is omnipresent in many a punk song of any division, and it should be. The basis of punk culture, as well as liberation, is freeing yourself of any shackles, including your own. The energy is picked up, though, by both tempo and subject matter, with the 95-second amphetamines. The clamor and lyrics are brought forth to match the rolling riffs that, like I said before, paint a setting of a disheveled chemist in his lab, and now we have lyrics giving some concept to the scene which, as the title would suggest, is a first-person narrative of the consumer of whatever had been concocted in that lab. Morat throws a ton of lyrics at us related to what it feels like to be on an average speed binge, such as the dose of adrenaline and the need to keep up your momentum. The vocals of Nick Oliveri is realized full-heartedly in the bridge. In all, I have to grant reverence to this song for the accuracy when regarding its title. The song makes you feel like you can run a mile in the time it takes for this song to end. And it ends with some nasal inhalation. After that fleeting, spastic experience, Cheated rolls into more personal troubles. Morat referring to depleting unnamed leeches from his life. Then we get back to reminders as to why we need to keep our fixes and vices in check, only this time, it's alcohol. Drinking for Two, I remind you, starts off with this cowboy-themed western folk piece as an introduction, with the vocals sounding like they're resonating from a mouth dripping with whiskey, before having this sporadic shift into this high-speed punk rock song. The lyrics in the intro set the mood for the anecdote as the narrator relives his night of binge drinking to the point of being blind drunk and crashing his bike into a tree. When the music shifts, Mora continues the narration with the bike being replaced by a car and eventually crashing it into a wall, getting pulled over and arrested, and the final blow of having to walk home. So, all the usual antics one gets into when they are, as the title suggests, drinking enough for two. Now, the song that everybody who has reviewed this album seems to love the most, Killmister. Like I said, this song is a tribute to the fallen rock and roll icon we know as Lemmy, musically and lyrically as well. Motorhead was the band on which punks, rockers, and metalheads could all find common interest back in the 80s, when all three tribes were at odds with each other, 
shall we say? Morat got pretty buddy-buddy with Lemmy back in the day, having followed Motorhead when they toured around the UK. So it's not surprising that this song, along with a lot of Soldier's overall influence, stems from his love and respect for the band. Lyrically, the song is a celebration of Lemmy and Motorhead, with references galore being threaded into the verses. One's dedicated to Lemmy himself. To more on-the-nose quips, like... And the chorus is just simply stating the name. Admittedly, some of the song titles that are woven into the lyrics feel more like they're there for the sake of the reference, rather than constructing clever takes like Bite the Bullet, Fast and Loose, Iron Horse, They're Born to Lose. The latter of which is in the majority of the song's lyrical structures, so it's not worth getting mad at. Batshit Crazy, I mentioned, has such an unsettled, spastic musical propulsion that it would only make sense for the lyrics to match it. And they do! The lyrics dictate one's mind, depicting a psychosis as equally spastic and unsettled. Such conundrums exude immense dissatisfaction in oneself that the only irrefutable answer seems to be... Making references to Jonestown, and the different words used in different cultures as synonyms to crazy. Mental is an idiom generally used around Britain, as is radio rental, which is used more by those of a Cockney dialect, and loco being Spanish slang to refer to someone as such. Batshit crazy easily lives up to its namesake. Wildly energized in its indecisiveness, it makes for a thrill ride. Then we see a more tranquil, albeit somber, psychoanalysis, as well as the return of Nicola Verri in Also Gazes. Morat regales us with a brief memoir of his experience at a psych ward, with each line depicting his everyday mundane activities. And there are others referring to lining up to take your meds and staring catatonically out the window. The chorus gets deeper into the void by weaving in a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, which also functions partially as the song's title. Stand 
Nietzsche quote refers more to the monsters within us that we hate and try to fight. And while it is by extension of Nietzsche, the inclusion of such succinct analysis of the human mind solidifies also gazes as the proprietor of cause and effect's most deeply insightful lyrics. So, after that trip on the downward fucking spiral, let's let loose a bit with some summer fun. And how does it start? With the sound of someone lighting a Molotov cocktail, hucking it, and hearing the explosion in the distance, and on impact comes the leading riff to this spring-loaded punk debacle. It's a song about rioting on which Morat has a lot of personal experience, and he fires off protest-entrenched lyrics like an AK-47 had he glued his finger to the trigger. Feeling much like a full-scale riot, this song doesn't slow down once during its 81-second runtime. A sort of contrast to the average longevity of a riot in practice. So, I could just assume this is either an abridged version of such, or rather just a sliver of such an extreme act of social unrest. They continue to capitalize on said unrest in Undefeated, only this time by way of verbal sparring toward the alleged instigators. They're of a lyrical subject matter that is practically affixed to punk rock as a whole. Sociopolitical criticism might as well be its own subgenre of punk rock. However, Morat does hold true to the fact that as long as this continues to exist and cause problems, there is always going to be an equally intense rebellion. That rebellious nature is ingrained in many people's heads. We're not satisfied with our current state of being, so we change it. And here, it's aimed directly at the powers that be who jeopardize our prosperity for a generally ideal setting for which we are longing. No better is it accurately presented than in the chorus. And we will not give in. Someday we will win. We don't see your crowd. We will never bow down. Sick of the Sight of You continues the sense of unhinged aggression, only this time aimed toward more immediate personal struggles. This one being the healing of scars left by an ex-girlfriend. Morat basically strings together some blatant, callous remarks towards this once-loved individual, which ultimately boils down to, Fuck off, I don't want you around anymore. This Rolodex of slandering phrases moves from being perturbed by falsified sob stories and her being such a downer in any and all aspects of his life. 
You can tell Morad is basically unfazed slash relieved by having cut this person out of his life. Though I will say that the omission of details does make it difficult to sympathize. This isn't to vilify Morat and his feelings toward this alleged scumbag of a human being, but for the sake of context, this song does leave a little more to be desired. Well, I guess that's accurate, for if you're feeling sympathy for the dissatisfied antagonist, which is not the point of the message in this song. And finally, enter the thrashing, bashing, crashing Sympathy of War. Recalling what I said about it being an equally aggressive bookend to anti-them on a musical front, well, the same can be said for its lyrics. Much how anti-them lists off Soldiers of Destruction's absence of allegiance to everything, Sympathy of War more or less reinstates that same discourse while instead listing out the things that they don't need, which all assemble into an objective playbook of rejecting outer influence for how to run their lives. Each line begins with, I don't need, and rattles off a list of things Morat refuses to let dictate his life, from menial samples like a doctor or shrink, to more open-ended standards like morals, rules, regulations, and those who enforce them, and words whose very definition refer to the bottom line of all this substantial discontent, such as advice, abuse, indoctrination, or the thing that encases this entire catalog, how to think. So yeah, this is a fitting closer to an album that is lyrically composed of the many degrees of disgruntlement and their reactions to them. Cause and Effect comes in with the truancy of all things they reject, and throughout the course of the album hold true to their standards by which they live, and ends with the most blatant remark to all who disagree. So, what to take away from cause and effect? Well, to me, it's a composite of what makes punk rock so unpredictable and, by extension, exciting. It does have its shortcomings, however, one of which is very major, and that is Morat's delivery in most of his vocals. While not objectively bad by any means, in some places they could be more vigorous, particularly in the areas where he's touting the repetitive phrases in the album's more aggressive sections. An example of which is during the intro of Amphetamines, and he leads the charging riff by shouting, Go! It feels a bit too reserved. In a punk song, if you're going to lead a riff like that, it's got to be, Go! Another would be in the chorus of Symphony of War, where the lines that close out the song as well as the album should sound more triumphant, as like, We came, we've slain, and we'll be back for more. And there were also the parts during uh, Kill Mister where some of the Motorhead references could be placed better, and the absence of details in Sick of the Sight of You derail the narrative a bit. However, these are things that I didn't notice until after I listened to the album, um, maybe, what, 20 times over? Some of which didn't come about until I was doing this deep dive for this review. So, on that note, the energy of this album does its job of speaking to the reptilian brain with its unhinged musical force that you don't even have to attach yourself to the lyrics and manner of which they represent. Ergo, not catching the faults until the initial thrill wears off. 
One thing I cannot fault them on is their militant stranglehold on their style. It's got its hard left turns, both musically and lyrically, and transcends genres in its own unique way. But it doesn't lose its footing. When you hear this album, you hear a punk album, despite the tidbits that give it its personality. They're not trying to beat you over the head with metaphors so dense you have to keep a dictionary or a history book on standby to really get the meaning behind them. They are as blunt as they are vicious. They are a perfect cocktail of street punk, oi, thrash, and rock and roll. And through it all, have become a bit of an underground success in a fruitful year of punk album releases. It may have its problems, but they don't completely ruin the album for me. Not even remotely. Cause and effect should be listened to, and Soldiers of Destruction need to be talked about more. For the five-star rating, I give it a I give it a four out of five. Anyway, some of the songs that I would recommend on this album firsthand, Undefeated. Not just because of the bass solo, <laughs> because it's a great song, it's a catchy song, and it's aggressive. Also, Gazes, for the uh, lyrical density and really just the thought-provoking emblems behind them. Death or Glory, because, come on, that's catchy. That's what everyone wants to listen to when they're in a bar with their friends, despite the uh, very macabre lyrics. Amphetamines, because, man... If that doesn't incite a circle pit at their live shows, then I've lost all faith in the scene. And batshit crazy. It's fun. It's catchy. It's a thrill ride. It's an encapsulation of most everything fun about this band. And there you have it. Lead Melodies Episode 2. Once again, I apologize to those who were waiting with just agonizing impatience to hear what I said about this album that most of you have probably never heard of. So, well, maybe it's just me. <laughs> Thank you again for listening, everybody. I will catch you in the next episode, maybe, oh, a year or so. <laughs> That's on a good day. So, as always, horns up, keep it heavy, and stay glorious. No, I-